So in the dry season, because there's no waste management, what people do is they just pile their waste. Most likely than not, if you're entering a street, that would be your introduction. We actually have a running joke at the Just Green Center where we say when people want to describe their houses to you, the landmark they use is like a pile of rubbish burning or pile of rubbish. They'll be like, oh, when you pass the pile of rubbish, two houses after that, you know, because that's that's to tell you how prevalent it is. Welcome to the Renew Our World podcast. Renew Our World is a global movement of Christians who believe that since we are truly image bearers of God, we should act like it, living out love for one another in actions and in truth. In this podcast, we're going to go on a journey together of discovering a theology of creation care. We'll be discussing the latest in climate news, chatting with industry leaders, theologians and practitioners, and hearing from some of our incredible partners who are working on the ground. Join us this season as we learn about creation care and what we can do in our own lives to play part in a much bigger restorative story. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Renew Our World podcast. Uh, Once again, I'm calling in from Melbourne, Australia. David, where are you today? Uh, I'm still in Bristol because we're still in lockdown. Yeah. Yep. So nothing's changed. (laughs) (laughs) And today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Ulan, like Mulan. Um, Where are you? I'm in just North Central Nigeria. Cool. (laughs) It's great to have you with us today. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are and what you do? Well, thank you for having me. my name is Ulan. I am the team lead of Joss Green Center. And Joss Green Center is in Joss, which, I, like I said, is in north central Nigeria. Um, I am the lead of a movement, a youth movement, a youth driven movement on entrepreneurship, social enterprise, and innovations. So, our goal and what we try to do is to make broken things whole. As big as that sounds, we're starting with the environment. We want to provide solutions that can bring healing to our environment and to our community. So in a nutshell. That's very cool. Um, Can you tell us a little bit how you have got involved with Renew Our World and how this centre has started? So the centre started... um, as a progression of uh, a Live Justly study we had with Tear Fund Nigeria. Um, Tear Fund Nigeria in 2014, 2015, gathered 50 young people. And even though at the time they were talking about like it was a Renew Our World type situation, it wasn't really called Renew Our World. It was the Micah Live Justly study. So 50 of us for 10 weeks, we went through the Micah Live Justly resource where we had to deal with concepts and ideas of justice, justice and creation care and generosity and consumption. And it was, um, some, it was a study that we had to really dig deep within our context and see how we could apply some of the principles of justice and to X-ray and examine the situations of injustice communities. And so as a progression of that, we decided to start the Just Green Center as a movement. Um, It wasn't really meant to be like an organization. We just wanted to use the same principles we learned to um, shine a light because we came into it 
as a result, and if a lot of people had knowledge of what was going on. So if we could be that voice amplifying like these issues, then we would be able to show people this environment affecting our communities. So the Just Green Center was born out of that. And as a result, we do a lot of things with Renew Our World and, you know, um, campaigning and programs and um, adding our voices to the Renew Our World campaign in Nigeria. That is really, really cool. I, I think I've, I've heard of the Just Green Center before and we've chatted before about, you know, the Just Green Center. And um, I just love how it was, it's been such an organic sort of thing that people just sort of grabbed a hold of justice through using, you know, a Live Justly resource. Um, people did a couple of sessions on that. And then it was like, okay, yeah, this, if we're going to be um, serious about this, we're going to be serious about our faith, then it takes, uh, takes us putting stuff into action and how it all came together. Yeah, it's, it's really, every, every time I hear the story about it, it always really inspires me because I guess it's, um, it's yeah, it's kind of, it's the kind of things that um, we sort of would, you know, love to see happening in terms of how we, how we build movements for change and particularly that it's young people's, you know, bringing about that change. So yeah, it's always, always really fun to hear about it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, you said, or you're saying this because just to kind of emphasize, it's the study that prompted us to action because we could see while we were studying. So something that happened while we were studying is as we're examining our lives, we noticed that, well, when we're talking about justice and consumption, for example, and generosity. So one of the things TF Fund was doing to kind of make the study more, what's the word I'm looking for, to make us enjoy the hour or two hours we're studying was provide like snacks and drinks. And we immediately saw that it was unnecessary because most of us were coming from home. We've had lunch. We really did not need it. So we, we immediately told Fund, okay, can you stop providing this and give us the money instead? You know, because we know there are people in our communities that need it more than we do. And so we went looking and we found this, um, I don't know if you know about IDPs, internally displaced people. Yeah, yeah. Because of the crisis we have within the com- country, there are some people that are internally displaced and there's a house that puts kids that have been displaced because of war and things like that. So we found one of the houses and the day we took the money to him, we're like, well, what can this do for you? What can it provide for these children? He, he literally broke down in tears because he didn't know how they were going to eat that evening. Yeah, yeah. It was quite revealing what something small that we felt it was just snacks and drinks, the money for it how it was impactful. So yeah. that even prompted us more, knowing that you can't just sit on knowledge, you have to act on it. And yeah. for that reason, it kept pushing us to do more and more and more. So yeah, the Live Justly study, I can't see how instrumental. One of our Just Green Center people says that next to his Bible, his Live Justly book is next to his <laughs> Bible on his bed. Nice. <laughs> he always refers to it. Yeah. That's really cool. Just moving us, moving us slightly off in a different direction, um, We've, you know, partly why we're, we're chatting to you this morning is because of uh, Tearfund's uh, Burning Question report that was launched, uh, goodness me, about a week or two ago now. Um, and yeah, we were really curious to hear hear some more about that and hear some more about sort of the story of sort of waste in where you where you grew up in in Joss and um, in other parts of Nigeria where you where you know about this stuff. But 
Um, I suppose before we get to that, like I think you, like I on the day the report was launched, I was listening to a BB. I was listening to the BBC, and I was like, oh, there's there's Ulan on the BBC. She's talking about uh, you know waste in 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 Joss and talking about the burning report. Um, so yeah, what was what was that experience like in terms of work, like doing a BBC documentary on 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 plastic waste and the burning of plastic waste? Well, that experience for me, the only word I can say was invaluable in how it reopened my eyes and how it the validity of the work we're doing. Because sometimes you, when you're doing work, like it seems like your head is just bent. You're just trying to get one thing done, then the next thing. But with that documentary, I had to be very present in sure. explaining yeah. this burning and waste management. And so even things that, because you see it a lot, you, 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 I don't even know if it's, if I should say you have shields or you have blockers suddenly, like you're just moving through town and, you know, but I had to be present. I had to really look at the game very yeah. extensively. And so it, it was very invaluable in reprompting me into doing work and also in looking at all the details and all the layers and the complexity of the situation that we're dealing with, with waste management and burning. Um, so I, I, is it bad to say I enjoyed the process? <laughs> Even though it's yeah. such a horrible thing happening. You know, I enjoyed the process, but it just gave me new angles of how to yeah. work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So over here in Australia and for David in the UK, uh, burning of rubbish isn't exactly something that is happening in front of us. We're not really walking down the street witnessing it happening every day. I'm wondering whether you can tell us a little bit about what it's like for you. How prevalent is it? Why do people do it? Is it something that you're you're witnessing on a daily basis? Yes, it's very prevalent. And it is something I witness on a daily basis. I would even say hourly basis. If I were to walk around town for like, for example, four hours, every single, like every 30 minutes, there would be waste burning guaranteed. And especially in this season, because why people do it is, first of all, there's poor waste management happening where I live. And secondly, it's a seasonal thing. So now we're in the dry season. The rains have not started because we, we just have the dry season and the wet season. So in the dry season, because there's no waste management, what people do is they just pile their waste in probably an empty lot or by the curb or we call it junctions here. So the junction is like the end of the road or the top of the road. So they just look for a little spot by the junction. So most likely than not, if you're entering a street, that would be your introduction to the street. We actually have a running joke at the Just Green Center where we say when people want to describe their houses to you, the landmark they use is like a pile of rubbish burning or mm-hmm. a pile of rubbish. They'll be like, oh, when you pass the pile of rubbish, two houses after that, <laughs> you know, because that's, that's to tell you how prevalent it is. And so in the dry season, most people just gather their waste and burn it because they feel the weather is conducive, it's dry, it's windy. The breeze is just going to carry the smoke somewhere, right? But oddly enough, when it's raining season, like it's almost very dramatic how it happens. If, say, the rain is about to start in 
the next 30 seconds, the moment it starts, you would see people running out of their houses with their waste to dump it in the waterways and in the gutter. Because mm. again, the rain is going to wash it away. They don't think beyond where it's going to wash it to. It's just that mm. the rain is going to wash it away. So poor waste management is one of the reasons in the city. And the, the, the belief that the weather is right for burning because it's not raining, it's dry. So let's burn it. I thought one of the, um, one of the most striking things I think I heard you say on the, on the documentary was that you know, you mentioned like sometimes, you know, you could be asleep in your room and then you'll wake up with the smell of smoke or burning of plastic um, because maybe someone nearby is burning or something like that. Um, so yeah, how does, I guess, my, I guess one of the questions then is, so part of the reason why we're talking about these issues is because they've, they've got really big um, human health impacts then. Like when things like that happen, what are the, what are the, what are the impacts of people's health and people's lives? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I mean, many nights, I would say one of the benefits in court of lockdown is the fact that I've not been woken up from sleep choking. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, is the fact that my neighbor thinks they're being considerate burning their waste in the night, yeah. burning their rubbish in the night because they feel everybody's in their houses and so they would not be disturbing people with the smoke. So it's odd that they are doing it in their minds, out of consideration, right? But then this is it's a lot of rubbish and it's, you know, it just filters in so much so that I'm considering changing my windows from louvers to like slide windows so that I can sleep well, you sure. know. So I, I basically have to bring my, for us not to have like uh, smoke coming into our house in the night, we have to change all the windows in the house you know, yeah. and that's like an economic impact that could be avoidable. And so you have a lot of people now because of inhaling like this, the waste and the smoke. We've had um, respiratory, even the doctors are saying it. they're not taking the data or the statistics because they're not making the correlation, right? But sure. you know, oh, in this month, and it's usually during the Hamatan and the dry season, we have a lot of people coming to the hospital with respiratory issues. Yeah. But they think because it's dry, it's hamatan, there's dust everywhere, that might be it. But they can't see the relationship between it and burning. You know, you have to bring their yeah. attention to it and then they'll be like, oh, you know. But then they can say, for example, that um, the women that do charcoal, so usually it's women that create charcoal for sale, they can see yeah. how if she coughs, for example, and she brings out, is it phlegm or from her chest, you can see that they, it's black because of yeah. the inhalation of the smoke and the soot. Yeah, you know? yeah. And if they see traces of that, they would just think, oh, maybe dust, you know. So it's, it's, it's really impacting people's respiratory health. Yeah, that's really sad to hear. That must be really difficult for people to live through. So is there anything that you would say to the biggest plastic polluters in the world being Unilever, PepsiCo, Nestle and Coca-Cola? Yes, uh, for, for me, like every time it seems, first of all, engage with the issue because you're the one causing it, right? If you go into this dump site, a lot of the plastic that's being burned, 
are plastic bottles from PepsiCo, Unilever, Coca-Cola, right? And then you even see people that use it to like for fuel because of how fast it burns. So sometimes really even about burning waste is someone cooking and they feel the best way for like their charcoal to light up faster is to put like a plastic bottle in it, right? So creating this very hazardous waste um, for people in communities that are, because they're poor, it's low-income communities, they can't afford like proper burners. They use Mm -hmm. this to cook, you know, so it's something that's very avoidable. And also, I think the responsibility lies on them. And I believe it's something they can do. And I've said, I've, I've lived long enough to know a time where there were no plastic bottles. We had only glass bottles, yeah. you know, and their products were marketed as liquid content only. So you go to Coca-Cola and you buy an empty crate yeah. of glass bottles so that when you go to the store, you give them the empty crate and then they give you like a full bottle of Coke, right? And so Coca-Cola goes to their major stores and they pick the empty bottles and refill it for them. So for me, that's recycling <laughs> that yeah, was happening. Yeah. And it was already a system. So how is it impossible to create a, another system where this plastic that you are putting out into the market or into the communities cannot be recycled by you? I think it lies on them mm. to be able to you know, either reduce how much plastic they create and put out in communities or recycle the, those plastics, create a system where if people have to, if they have to create it, then they should be the ones to recycle it. So it doesn't end up in the rubbish and people don't have to burn it. You know. mm. It's an interesting thing you said there about, like you, you remember a time um, when, you know, pl- plastic wasn't available and, and it was sort of a refill sort of way that people would, would go about it. And it's, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I guess it's, it's ultimately comes down to those companies ultimately producing plastic is cheaper than them having to provide this service, right? So their their need for greater profit margins, the knock-on effect then is more plastic, which means more burning, more more respiratory issues for people. Um, yeah, it's an interesting, I suppose when you when you follow the chain and the sort of motivations behind it, it's it's interesting to see that in a in a lot of the justice issues we see today, like I guess a sense of greed and a sense of um, profit really drives some of those some of those um, decisions that we make, maybe. Yes, and it's interesting that you would say that because, oddly enough, the glass bottles are cheaper. We still have the glass bottles, wow, but they're cheaper than the plastic bottles. But the kind of marketing that has gone in, right, is that it's convenient. You know, yeah. with glass bottle, like you can't walk down the street and have your Coke. But with a plastic bottle, you can carry it around because it has a cover. And, you know, so if you sip your Coke, you can put it back in your bag. You yeah, know, yeah. so there's that. And then it's more expensive. And ultimately, sad to say, because our society is a bit classist, right? The marketing sure. is not a bit classist. It's a very classist society. So the marketing is such that, you know, your it's a status thing to be seen. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then you'd see on some of the bottles, there's like, the, we have a bottle called Bigger Boy, right? Uh, and yeah, Niger, yeah. Niger is Nigeria. It's a slang for Nigeria. In Niger speak, um, Bigger Boy, a Bigger Boy is like a status thing. So yeah. you would want to be walking down with a Bigger Boy plastic bottle 
So walking into the psychology. And just to add again, unfortunately, the people that create this waste that can afford it, they're not the ones that have to deal with it. So one of the things yeah. we were trying to do at the Just Green Center was a campaign called Follow the Plastic Bottle and Follow the Refuse Truck because we, re- we realized that most of this waste comes from the high-income areas because they can afford it and they generate the waste. And so they get some kind of waste management happening. And most of the dump sites are in the low-income areas. That's why you see those are the areas that have access to the plastic bottles and the burning and things like that. So it's a huge justice issue that yeah. these companies are contributing to. Mm. If they don't know it before, <laughs> now they know, right? Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's causing injustice on poorer people and people that are not generating the waste because they can't afford their products, but they're the ones dealing with the effects of it. Yeah. Well, Ulan, this conversation has been really, really interesting and, and really eye-opening. And it, it always is whenever I hear you, whenever I hear you talk. So um, it's probably all we've got time for today, but I'm thinking we've got to bring you back um, relatively soon and do another podcast and maybe chat, chat some more about some of these issues. And you can tell us a bit more about um, Joss Green Center and tell us a bit more about Renew Our World in Nigeria in terms of what you guys are up to. People, people on, on, won't be able to see you because obviously this is a podcast, but you're wearing a, a po- post-oil um, t-shirt, which I know is a campaign that Tierfin has been running. So be really, really curious to bring you back and hear more about that in, at a later stage as well. Uh, it will be my pleasure to speak on it. It will be my absolute pleasure. Nice. We can we can whet people's appetite now for um, Ulan Part 2. So thanks, guys, for listening to uh, Episode 3 of the Renewal World Podcast. Um, hopefully you found that really interesting. I know I, know I certainly did. And um, yeah, check back soon for, for Episode 4 and more fantastic Renewal World um, content. Yeah. See you guys soon. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Renew Our World podcast. To learn more about the Renew Our World campaign or to hear about some of the work that our partners are doing, make sure you jump on over to our website at renewourworld.net. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a podcast episode again.